We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. I felt kind of bad because one of the brothers uh, thought I was going to be teaching John um, because it's the next book, you know, after Luke. Um, but what ended up happening was um, I've already taught that book. And so I was praying, asking the Lord for direction as far as where to go next. And uh, we're almost done with the New Testament. I've taught most of the big books in the New Testament, so we've got some of the smaller books left. And, uh, and I really thought that First John would be a good place for us to go. Because this book right here is a book... For me, anyways, I think it'd be really beneficial about being real. Warren Wiersbe has a commentary uh, on all the books of the Bible, but his uh, commentary in the book of 1 John is about being real. And it's a, it's a really cool book. Um, a couple of words stand out. Um, one word is life. Another word is light. Another word is love. And so, do you really have life? You know, for some of you here, you know, maybe you don't have that assurance. Maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. And, and you know what? You know, don't, whatever you do, don't sit here and just, you know, deceive yourself. Yeah, I'm going there. I mean, are you sure, man? Are you sure that you're going to heaven? Because if not, you'll end up in hell. You gotta know for sure. This is not something where, you know, you pull the wool over my eyes and so I believe you're a Christian your whole life and, and you're cool with that. I mean, what good is that? I mean, either you know the Lord, you're a Christian, or you're not. And if you're not, then just, just become one. Give your heart, your life to the Lord. We're going to see that in 1 John. As we go through this letter, he's just going to give us some real tangible things that we can look at in our life. Not feelings, but facts. So that we can know whether or not we have life. And and we're going to see even life abundantly. For those of you who are Christians, man, yeah, you're alive. But for some of you here, you're barely alive. You know, it's one thing to be alive, you know, or to be on life support or, or just to be barely alive. But it's another thing to be fully alive. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life abundantly. And so that's one word we're going to see is the word life. Uh, Another word we're going to see is the word light. And when you look at it within the context of 1 John, what it's talking about is really it's talking about uh, living a life of obedience. Because if you have life, we're going to see that that will manifest itself in obedience. I mean, you can tell yourself you're a Christian until you're blue in the head, man. But if you're not living a life of obedience, you don't really have that assurance. Every once in a while, I'll do a funeral. And when I'm doing that funeral, um, the family will tell me, yeah, he was a Christian. But, you know, maybe he was uh, doing drugs or maybe he was drinking or maybe, you know, sometimes they're having an affair. And they'll come and they'll tell me, well, but he was a Christian. Well, if they're, if they're doing things, if they're living and engaged in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, you know, pornography, whatever it is, then, then there's no assurance they're a Christian. I mean, you know, I, I can go and do the funeral, but I probably can't say they're in heaven. You know, and if you're living a lifestyle of sin, unrepentant sin, 
And the Holy Spirit's been kind of showing you, or maybe he's working with you on the outside. It's his way of just saying, you need Jesus. We need Jesus. Uh, before I was a Christian, I was addicted to drugs. Before I was a Christian, I used to cuss like a sailor. Before I was a Christian, I didn't care. I just wanted to hurt people. Believe it or not, I used to do some crazy things, slash tires for no reason. How dumb is that, you know? I mean, steal, I mean, you name it. A lot of crazy things. But when I became a Christian, he set me free from all those things that I could not set myself free from. When you become a Christian, you have life, and then you have a light. Because otherwise you're walking in the darkness. And the darkness is that individual who's sinning and they don't want anybody to know. The darkness is that place where you don't even know what's right. And so when you become a Christian, you walk in life, you walk in light, there's this life of obedience. And for us as Christians, you know, the bottom line is, even if you are a Christian, don't you want to obey even more? I know I do, man. I want to grow. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a a stronger father with more wisdom. I want to be, you know, a a better son to my mom and dad. And you name it, man, a whole bunch of things. And friend. I want to be a better friend, a better servant. All those things. So this is what First John will do. It will give us life and that more abundantly. And it will give us light. It will be brighter for us to be able to obey God. And then that other L is that word um, love. And this is a really cool thing that I am really looking forward to in First John. Because, again, you have life. And then that brings you to the capacity now to obey. But probably the greatest area of obedience, I think, for us as Christians, you know, is not church attendance, although church attendance is important. You know, not necessarily, you know, reading my three chapters a day, although I would encourage you to be in the Word. And, you know, not necessarily, you know, the Pharisaical prayers or whatever that is. You know, or whatever it is. You don't drink or smoke or chew or run with those who do. You know, that's what it is. No. I mean, the greatest act of obedience, you guys, for us as Christians is love. Love. And I'm learning. I'm learning, you guys, more than ever before in my life what what real love is. And, and I'll be honest with you, how how short, how much I fall short of real love. Because a lot of times we love those who, who love us. We love those who like us. We love those who are nice to us. And, and, and just the blunt truth is, so what? Because that's what the rest of the world does. When your love is a love for those who hate you, for those who are your enemies, now you're talking about true love. And I, the Lord has been dealing with me and so the only reason I'm saying that is because, you know, I don't want you to think I've arrived or anything. Or I also want to say, I want to pray that he would deal with you. Um, that, that when you get those people who, who slap you in the face, when you get those people who uh, nail you to the cross, now your, your true love is being tested. And God wants to bring us to that place as Christians, you guys. Not just nominal Christians, not just people who go to church, but real New Testament, uh, anointed, Holy Spirit, power, true Christians who have life, who have light, and who have love the way that God wants us to have it. And so I really believe that God's going to use First John in a mighty way. Remember that scripture? It says that in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 
and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the epistle of 1 John. To be equipped, it means to be furnished. It means you have the tools. We're going to learn 1 John. We're going to put it in our tool bag. And God's going to give us this, and he's going to change our life. More life, more light, more love. I don't know about you, but I really, really need that in my life. Do you? I, I, I know some of you. You do. I mean, big time. It's no offense, man. <laughs> and so, who wrote the book? We wonder who wrote the book. Well, obviously, we believe the author is John the Beloved, the man they named the letter after, who, interestingly, is often considered to be Jesus' best friend. You know, and, and that's kind of funny. I remember when I taught the Gospel of John and just thinking about that. You know, you, you figure, well, Jesus loved everybody, right? And he did. He loves everybody the same. But he had, I think he had kind of a best friend. And it was this guy, John. He was the guy who leaned on his breast. He was the guy that John said, you know, the Lord really loves me. Even Peter went through John, you know, for a real, real important question, you know. And so it comes from that perspective. When you look at the external evidence or the historical evidence, it goes way back to the beginning. It was a letter that was overwhelmingly received without dispute as authoritative. Uh, people like Polycarp, who was an early church leader, actually knew John. He used this letter in his writings as well as others. Papias, Arrhenius, who knew Polycarp, they all attributed this letter to the Apostle John. Specifically quoting the epistle as John, the author of the fourth gospel, Arrhenius, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, and his pupil Dionysius. Along with these guys, it's interesting, all the Greek and Latin fathers accepted this letter as written by John as well. And the only reason I say that is because you're going to go to some liberal schools and you're going to talk to people and they're going to say, ah, John didn't write it. And you can tell them, yes, he did. There's the external evidence and also there's the internal evidence. When you read the book itself, it shows the same thing, that the writer claims to be an eyewitness. For one, we're going to see in verse 1, that which we've seen, which we've handled, which we've heard. I mean, he was a de- definitely a first-hand witness. And when you look at the words and phrases and style, all clearly points to the fact that it was written by John. And this interesting thing about John is this. If you guys remember him, he was the brother of James, and both of these guys were probably big, bad, burly fishermen, Right? And we read that they're calling in Matthew 4, 21 and 22, where it says, going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So they're fishermen. He called them, and immediately it says they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. Uh, these guys were fishermen, and apparently they were pretty heavy-handed in the beginning In listing the twelve apostles, when you read Mark chapter 3, verse 17, it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he, Jesus, gave the name Boanerges, or sons of thunder. And the reason why he called them sons of thunder is because one time when Jesus wanted to go through Samaria, they wouldn't let him go through. And so James and John, they said, hey, um, you want us to call some fire down from heaven? (laughs) Let's toast them, Lord. I know you can do it, right? I want to kill them. Let's wipe them out. I want to smash them like an ant. I mean, these guys were, they were, they were sons of thunder. They, they didn't have love. They didn't have God's love. That's how they started off, right? 
And that's how they, you know, are explained in the Bible. But what happens up happening is they come to Jesus and over time, here's the hope for me, man. The Lord changed them. The Lord changed them. And I pray that you're here today with a, with a hunger, with a desire, and with a humility that says, Lord, I need you to change me. Lord, I need, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I want my life and light and love to be more like yours. You see, when you read John's Gospel, you find the word love 20 times. John writes and he rewrites about God's love for us, for the world, and how we should love God. A universal message and at the same time a very personal message, even to the point where he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in John chapter 21, verse 20. As we study his letter, the word love, and this is interesting, in John, I just said it, how many times is the word love found? Some of you guys are awake. Okay, good job. 20 times in the Gospel of John, right? But it's found 24 times in 1 John. And so that's interesting. You've got 21 chapters, 20 times. Now you've got five chapters. And this word love, 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 love is repeated over and over and over again. You know, and, and that's cool, you guys. I mean, the life that we have in the Lord leads us to a life of obedience in the Lord where he can bless our life and use our life. But when it comes to obedience, the most important thing is that love, love for God, love for others. And it's so cool the way that this is going to work out. God's going to change us this way. You know, if you open your hearts to God, and here it is, you've got to do that, though. This is one of the wonderful works God will do right there in your heart if you let him. He'll change you just as he did John. I mean, if he could transform a son of thunder into the son of love, so to speak, he can do the same with us. See, John was a lover. Not only was he a lover, but we see when we study his life that he was a leader. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14, we find that John was there in Jerusalem with the apostles linked to leadership. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, it's reiterated when he's called a pillar of the church. And so, just to give you a little background, because sometimes it helps to know who wrote the letter and where is this guy coming from. Have you ever got a letter before? Usually when you get a letter, you know who it's from, right? If you don't know who it's from, it's kind of not the same. We need to know a little bit about who this letter is from before we just dive into it. And we know that it's John, the beloved. He used to be a crazy guy, didn't have a lot of love, and God changed his life. And, and I don't know about you, but you know when you're hearing something from somebody, it's cool to know that they've actually gone through it. They've actually been there. And that's what we find in this letter. Not only a lover, but he was also a leader. We read of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John in Acts chapter 8. But after that, other than a reference to his brother, James, being martyred, there's no mention of John. So you wonder what happened to this guy. Well, we do read his three epistles and his gospel and the book of Revelation. So we have a little bit of information, but early Christian tradition reveals that John left Jerusalem before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and that he ministered in and around Ephesus. The seven churches in the Roman province of Asia mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 were evidently part of this ministry. And here's something that's interesting. For those of you guys who kind of know the Bible a little bit, Ephesus, Ephesus. We read so much about this church of Ephesus, huh? How Paul founded it in Acts chapter 19. 
the letters that are written, we see in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to Ephesus, the book to Ephesians, and now more than likely we can kind of see First John even as written to the Ephesians because from there the word would go out to all of Asia. And so to me it's interesting, when you read Revelation it says they had left their first love and John here is the apostle love and I think he's reminding them of something very important. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 20 when Paul the apostle met with the Ephesian elders in Miletus. Remember what he told them? He said, you know what, I'm going to be taken off to Jerusalem. But when I leave, savage wolves are going to come into the flock. They're going to be there among you. They're going to speak perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves. But I want you to know something, that for three years, day and night with tears, I warned you about these things. I warned you that people would come in from the flock, not sparing, not really caring about you. And they're going to draw people away. And we need to be really cognizant because First John is really about that. It's about that whole message of deceivers, about Gnostics, about heretics, who would eventually leave the church, but they would split the church. And John right here, he's writing, he's saying, listen, these are things that are very important for you to know. You need to know your doctrine, and you need to look for fruit in their life. It's an amazing thing when you study John, the lover, John, the leader. They say that when John got older, and I don't know if I, you know, this is a big deal to you, but to me it's kind of interesting that he couldn't even walk anymore. Okay, and you know how you get when you get older. He was the only one that wasn't martyred. They did actually put him in oil. They tried to kill him, but he didn't die, and so they sent him over to the island of Patmos. But when he got really old, he couldn't walk, probably because they tried boiling him in oil. You know that will probably do that to you. I don't know, but anyways, um, so they would carry him around on a stretcher. They would just carry him around in a stretcher all over the place. And he would always just say, little children love each other. Little children love each other. It's a trap, huh? That was his message. And I think it's a message that we need to hear today. It really is. Yeah, but they don't love me. I know it's hard. I understand that. But that's what God's love is all about. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And so we got to have this love. It's got to be a supernatural love. John wrote this letter with that in mind. And, and as far as, you know, where and when it was written, again, we're not exactly sure when and where it was written. But from church history, uh, they say it was written from Ephesus after the Gospel of John prior to AD 95. Uh, and one guy said this, the fatherly tone of the epistle goes well with the ancient tradition of the aged John. And so, you know, there are a few that say it was written maybe 60, but more than likely it was uh, 85 to the early 90 AD. And it kind of supports the fact that here's a guy that's older, you know, because when you're older, you can say, oh, my little children, right? When you're younger, you probably can't. And so it kind of supports a later date. And, and, and what I wanted to do today is just kind of give an introduction. Lord willing, next week we'll dive into the text and cover chapter 1. But I just want to give you guys uh, five things today, purposes for which this book was written. Number one, these are articulated purposes. Number one, the first thing is the word fellowship. And so we're in John chapter 1, John 1. Let's look at verse 3. As well, let's start in verse 1. It says, that which was from... The beginning, which we have heard, which he has seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's just Jesus. He said, we have Jesus, right? And it says right here, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you in verse 3 that you also, here it is, that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And so, one of the reasons this letter was written was to uh, promote, to bring us to a place of true fellowship. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the congregation. Something that we need desperately in our life. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so this is something that John wrote and he wants to encourage. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when you read fellowship, um, the Greek word is koinonia. It's kind of like my last name, koinonia, koinonia, kind of like that. I think that's where it came from, not his talking. Koinonia, koinonia means little crown. That's all I am. One day, hopefully, I'll get a little crown. But anyways, koinonia, fellowship. It's important for us to have that. I always tell people it's like four tables on a, four legs on a table. You need the prayer, the word, and you need to be sharing your faith and fellowship. If any one of those is missing, you're going to be suffering as a Christian. And so, fellowship. He's going to write this, you know, to bring fellowship. The word at its heart, koinonia, it means to share something. Sometimes it's uh, translated communion or common, even offering. It just talks about contributing, being part of a something. When I think of it today, trying to really get down to the nitty-gritty of it, I think of related and I think of relationships. And how beautiful relationships are. You know, I have a dog. You guys know his name, right? Chip. He's cool. I'll be honest with you. I love my dog. I love my dog. You know, but our relationship can only go so far, you know? It's kind of funny. Every time I come home, he starts barking. And I know it's it's not because he doesn't like me. He's excited, you know? And so I get in the door, and he continues to bark until what? Until I go over the, the, the gate right there, and I let him lick me right here. Once I let him lick me right here, and then right here. No, I'm just joking. Right here. <laughs> then it's cool. I love my dog, you know? But, you know, and our relationship is cool. We play together, you know. I'll give him his treats and stuff, and, you know, we mess around. He growls at me. We play around. We have fun. But, you know, our relationship can only go so far, you know. I, I, I you know... I have a relationship with my, 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 my wife, my kids, my friends that goes deeper. You know, and I, and I, I want to say this in a very nice way. Sometimes I think we have a really superficial relationship with God. Kind of like we do you know, with our dog. Um, we have a superficial relationship with others. And God is saying, you know, in the church, I want you to have a deep relationship with, with the Lord, with the Father, with the Son, and begin to have deeper relationships with your brothers and your sisters. First John is going to bring us to that point. Because here's the thing, you guys. One of the things that gets in the way of our relationships with others is sin. When we have sins in our life and bitterness in our heart and things, you know, self-desire, selfishness, they're like these walls. Walls between us and God. Walls between us and others. But when we begin to grow and walk in the light and have this love, then it's so cool because those walls begin to fall down. 
And then I put my arm around my brother and I put my other arm around my brother and I squeeze him and I put my head in his shoulder right there and I begin to cry and I begin to tell him that I love him. And it's just like there's this, there's this more that we need as Christians. And so one of the things that John writes this whole thing about is that we can have fellowship. There's a lot of people, man. I remember when I used to go to church before I was a Christian, I would just go and then I would leave. I would go and then not talk to anybody. And then I'd go to Snappy Taco. And then after Snappy Taco, do you guys remember that? Chili cheese fries. And then I would go and I would sin. I would just, it's all, hey, let's go drunk and, and do all this stuff. And it's like, man... We need a fellowship. First John is going to help us do that. It was specifically written for that reason. Secondly, look at verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. So he writes it, he says, so that you can have fellowship. And he writes it, secondly, so that you can have joy. But not just joy. He wants you to have fullness of joy. Jesus said in John 15:11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Later John would write in 2 John verse 12, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. You know, and I don't know if it's I don't think it's the equivalent of happiness, but you know, don't throw happiness away. Because um, I think there's an English connotation that that's cool. But I will tell you this, man, that God does love to see you smile. I will say that, even in the difficulties, even through the hard times. That's why he gave us tickle points. I mean, that's why we're ticklish. You're like, why, why, why would God make us ticklish? Because he likes to see you smile. He likes to see you laugh. Um, I think it takes 72 muscles to frown. Did you guys know that? People walk around like that as Christians. Woe is me. And they're all sad. 72 muscles. Only 14 muscles to smile. God wants us to smile, you guys. And, and I'm not talking about a superficial joy. I'm talking about a deep joy that says, you know what? Uh, when Paul the Apostle and Silas were in the bottom of the dungeon in the book of Acts, chapter 16, they were just rejoicing. Joy. What a blessing to be persecuted for my Lord. What a joy this is. And, and I'm telling you this, that no one can take away your joy except you. Because when you have your eyes on Jesus, it's just a beautiful thing. When you're living in sin, you'll have no joy, huh? There's no joy for those who are living in sin. Here we see that it's all going to come together and you know, John wants us to have joy. One guy said this, I have no understanding of a long-faced Christian. <laughs> if God is anything, he's joy. Another individual, F.B. Meyer, said, Joy is peace dancing, and peace is joy at rest. Can you guys dance? You're like, not in this church. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Man cannot find true essential joy anywhere but in his relationship with God, said Oswald Chambers. And then Leon Boy said, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. And so if you've been walking around bummed out, depressed, distressed, long-faced, you know, head, you know, down, you know, gloomy, 
you know, Eeyore, I don't know, you know. If you've been walking around like that as a Christian, God says, I don't want that for your life. He's going to use this letter to change you, bring in obedience, bring in love, bring in peace, bring in doctrine, protection, everything to give you fellowship, to give you, secondly, joy, and then to give you holiness uh, in a practical sense. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And so there's a goal right there. And that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect on this side of time, but, you know, it means that we're going to be proper. Of course, we have to finish the sentences. It says, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, that's a lawyer, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, you know, our desire is, is this, man, Lord, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to get in a fight with my wife. I mean, what good does that do to her, to me, or to my kids? What good does that do to anybody? I don't want to sin. I don't want to be checking out some chick over there. What what good does that do to me, to my heart, my life? I don't want, you know, to hurt or harm people. I mean, we don't want to sin. This book was written to help you. Some of you guys right here, you're just big sinners. And you just keep on sinning, right? And the Lord says, well, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to take those things that are rooted so deeply within your heart that you don't even know they're there. I'm going to take this book because it's a living word and it's a working word and I'm going to help you overcome. These things are written that we might not sin. The issue isn't perfect obedience where we never falter, but rather it's the desire to obey Jesus' commands that manifest itself through consistency. It is not Christ walking on the sea or Christians walking on the sea but his ordinary walk that we're called on earth to imitate. You know, when you, when, you, when you look at this, remember I told you guys earlier about being real, real life. Real life will manifest itself in obedience and in holiness. And that's why William MacDonald, he said John's first epistle is like a family photograph album. It describes those who are members of the family of God, just as children resemble their parents, so God's children have his likeness too. I don't know how you guys are. Do you ever see a new baby and then someone comes along and says, oh, he looks just like you know the mom or the dad. Are you guys good at that? I'm not. I'm like, dad, how can you see that? I don't, I'm not really good at that, you know? But, but eventually I think you can begin to see those characteristics. You even begin to see kind of the way they walk. And, and as Christians, there's got to be a family resemblance, you know, with our Father. He lives this, you know, life of holiness, Jesus on earth. He's holy, and therefore we need to be holy. And like I said earlier, you know, part of my calling as, as a servant is, is that you would go to heaven when you die and not hell. And I want to do whatever I can. There's only so much I can do. But I want to do whatever I can, not to push you away, but to draw you to the Lord, to draw you to his love. And yes, sometimes to give you those warnings. And you know, going to church doesn't save you. And doing your sacraments and reading your Bible and believing in God intellectually, it doesn't save you. You know, what saves you is an absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where he really is on the throne of your heart. And if you don't know whether or not that's real in your life, 
then then you gotta you gotta make sure you gotta come to that place where you do know without a shadow of a doubt I know because the way I've been living my life that I'm a Christian. And so we have to examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians 13.5, to see whether or not we're in the faith. And as I've told you before, I don't want to cast doubt on any true Christian, but neither do I want to give a false assurance to to someone who's not really a Christian. If you're here today and you don't know for absolute sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven, then today... Give your life to the Lord. It's just a prayer away. God will change everything. The fourth thing, we're almost done here. The fourth thing in 1 John chapter 2. Notice in verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. See, these are the reasons he wrote the letter, and that's why he articulates it. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Part of the reason for this letter is protection. Protection, You know, and, and as we read through this and we see the purposes of the letter, fellowship and joy and holiness and protection from deception and doctrinal purity, we're going to talk a lot about that. Because even today in the church today, you just turn on the TV and there's a lot of false teachers. There's a lot of people who are trying to pull you away, you know, from the true God. And they might speak 95% truth. But it's that 5% poison that will take you to hell. And you've got to know it. You know, even a broken clock, it has the right time a couple of times a day, right? <laughs> and some of these, you know, teachers, oh yeah, that's all, so I like what they say. But then this part right here will lead you astray. And so we want to protect you. As a church, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but you're considered sheep. We're sheep and we have our shepherd who protects us. And then the last reason for the letter is over in chapter 5, in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And that's so cool to have that assurance. I know, you know. I mean, I know I'm a knucklehead. (laughs) You know, I know I mess up sometimes. I, I know that. I know I'm just a man, and I know I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. i tell you that, you know? And I still do sometimes. But I know this. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that. And it's not because of me, you know, how great I am. But it's, a, it's because of how great he is. Let me ask you one last question. If you were to die today and go to heaven, or actually you're at the door of heaven, and you're, there you are at the door of heaven, and God was to say to you, why should I let you in to my heaven? What would you say? Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? If you said this, well, because I'm a pretty good person, then let me tell you something right now. You are not on the road to heaven. And you just need to know that. You got the wrong answer. Boom. And they pull the lever and you kind of you know, fall, fall into hell. <laughs> you got the wrong answer. Oh, I'm a pretty good person. That will not get you to heaven. You need to know that right now. And what you need to do is you need to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. You need to be able to say one day when you're there at heaven's door, why should I let you in? You would say, man, because Jesus loves me. He died for me on the cross. And I 
repented of my sins, and I received Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. That's it, what he did. And when you have that in your heart, then you know for sure you're free. It's so cool what God has done. You know, I was thinking about the L's of First John. Uh, the first L is the word life. God wants to give us life and that more abundantly. The, the second L is that word light. And, uh, and so, Lord, teach me your word and help me to live in obedience and, and, and to walk in the light, not in darkness. He's going to change us, make us obedient. The third L is that word love. And when I think of love, I think, man, that's the heart of obedience. But then the, the last L is the word Lord. Lord, you are the Lord of my life. Jesus, it's all about you. And so I'm really excited about this book. But when I was thinking about all those L's, I was thinking about, hey, Lord, that's why we're called Calvary Chapel El Monte. I, I thought about that. <laughs> this is so cool, Lord. You're putting it all together, man. Life, light, love, Lord. Lord, make Calvary Chapel El Monte change us with the book of First John. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much uh, for allowing us to be here today with you. And uh, just an introduction to the book of John, just to kind of get us ready that as we go through this book right here, Lord, um, you change our lives. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.